Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning, Lord. Help us now as we open your word to drink, to eat, Lord. As you said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 47. I'm just going to look at a few points here from a couple of verses. Genesis 47 and beginning of verse 18. Genesis 47, 18. When that year was ended, they came unto him the second year and said unto him, we will not hide it from my Lord, how that our money is spent. My Lord also hath our herds of cattle. There is not aught left in the sight of my Lord, but our bodies and our lands. Wherefore shall we die before thine eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread, and we and our land will be servants unto Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land be not desolate. Okay, now, so this is a very dramatic point here in the, in the lives of the Egyptians because it's really showing here just this utter deterioration in their state, in their condition here. I mean, the famine had gripped the land so hard that the Egyptians had, they brought all their money to Joseph. They didn't have any more money to bring. If you see that in verse 14, that Joseph gathered up all the money in the land that was found in the land of Egypt. And then from that food that they got for their money there, the food ran out and they didn't know what to do except to throw themselves on the mercy of Joseph, which is what they did do in verse 15 when they said to him, give us bread for why should we die in thy presence? The money faileth. And then we saw how Joseph, he heard their cries, responded to their anguish, and he said in verse 16, give your cattle, and I'll give you for your cattle if money fail. And the Egyptians then brought their cattle. They brought everything that walked to Joseph. They brought horses and flocks and herds and donkeys. But the Egyptians were so desperate as they brought all their livestock to Joseph for food. And all this, as we see here, is a process for them where they're yielding more and more to Joseph so they could get food and not die. And then there was one last holdout that they had, the Egyptians had, their bodies and their lands, and Joseph never asked for that. But when the food ran out and they'd gotten all, they'd given all their livestock and money and so forth and they'd had nothing else, they made the ultimate proposal. They made this proposal to Joseph when they said in verse 18 that they wouldn't hide it from the Lord, but there's nothing left except their bodies and their lands. And they said, why should we die? They said, buy us, buy our bodies, buy our land, so that we can become Pharaoh's servants. So in other words, what happened here is they reached the breaking point. 
the breaking point where they propose that we'll become servants, we'll become Pharaoh's servants, and then we'll be taken care of not as citizens of Egypt, but we'll be taken care of as Pharaoh's servants, as Pharaoh's property. But it's interesting what they said when they came to this point, a breaking point in verse 18, because they said, we will not hide it from the Lord. So there they are, they're bankrupt. They've got nothing left except for their bodies and their land. And it's an interesting statement when they say that, we will not hide it from my Lord. And it's interesting because we can see the Egyptians up to this point you know, we can kind of picture them before they got to this point is that they're walking around, you know, they got Egyptian pride. You know, they're, they're saying, you know, I'm not starving. Everything's fine. You know, I, I got plenty of food. I Everything's under control. You know, I bought food with my money. Then I bought food with my cattle. I'm set. No problem. I'm just fine. And that picture, just that picture of the Egyptians and their pride, not willing to really admit that they were starving, like hiding it, and that's a picture, that picture there is, would be like of the Egyptians before where, where they were hiding it from Joseph, they were starving. And why did they do that? Why would they do that? Because of pride, because of Egyptian, because of pride. Isn't that a picture of man today? I mean, isn't that a picture of man today? He's just not willing to admit that he desperately needs God. And he's walking around just like the Egyptians. I don't need God. Everything's fine. Everything I needed, I've got in life. Everything's under control. I, I worked hard. I, I provided for myself everything I need now in life. And I'm set. No problem with me. I'm, I'm just fine. Take your God to the next person, not for me. And all the while today, he's hiding the fact he needs God. He needs God. And when the Egyptians were broken, and then they came in verse 18, and they said, there's not left aught in the sight of my Lord. What they were saying by that, is they're saying that they knew that Joseph knew that they had nothing left. When they said, there's not aught left in the sight of my Lord. But even though they knew that Joseph knew and they had nothing, then they said, okay, we're gonna stop. We're gonna stop this hiding. We will not hide it from my Lord. In other words, even though they knew that Joseph knew they had nothing, they had, well, were gonna stop hiding it from Joseph. They had nothing. And that's an interesting picture because, like I say, it's a picture of man today. I mean, man today thinks or he doesn't need God. And what does man have that he thinks that he doesn't need God? I mean, we go to people, we say, you need God. And they reply, I, no, I don't, because I have blank. What are those, some of those blanks? What would you say? When you say to people, you know, you need God, people say, I don't need God because I have what? What are some of the things? Money, big one. Money, family, good. Money, family, secure job, Security, job, I got a house, I got a place to live, I got my little shelter, right? I even got a backup generator in case the electricity goes out. <laughs> what else? I got friends, I got friends. Oh, there's so many. Okay, now I listed here, and hold on to your seats, 15, <laughs> okay? And you've touched on some of them. All right, so well, first one, a common, a common, common, common argument is, I don't need God because I'm alive. I have life. You know, I get up in the morning and I'm alive and I don't need God. And that's a lie there. That's a lie that makes man trust, trust in himself. He says he doesn't need God because he has life. And the Bible says that it, wisdom is to actually sit down and give a calculation, give an estimation how much time you have to live. 
You know, Psalm 90, verse 12, it teaches that. It says that God would teach us when it says, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Wisdom is to sit down and try to figure out, on average, the lifetime is this. It means I got this many days left. And then as each day comes off, cross off one. You know, it's okay. <laughs> you know, it's like these many days. No, no, one less. Okay. Because a person, just, just because that, that's good for a person to do its wisdom. And just because a person get up in the morning and feel great, jump out of bed, tackle a day head on, and he thinks he doesn't need God. But King David said in Psalm 34, 39, 4, Psalm 39, 4, man needs to be made to know. He said, oh, Lord, make me to know. Make me to know mine end, he says, and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am, how weak I am, how delicate I am, how fragile I am. You know, David only lived 70 years. Did you ever know that? He only lived 70 years. You probably thought he lived 270 years, but he didn't. He only lived 70 years. And he wanted God to impress on him how short his life was. You remember what happened at the end of his days when his health failed? He couldn't make heat. His body, his metabolism was so shot that he couldn't make heat. You know, I appreciated so much what Billy Graham said when he was asked, why did God allow you to get Parkinson's disease? And he said, it was beautiful what he said. He said, because God wanted me to depend more on him. Isn't that beautiful? Sweet spirit. Sweet spirit of trust and reliance on God all the way to the end of his life. And Moses yearned for Israel. Moses had a prayer for Israel. He yearned for Israel. He said, I wish that Israel had this wisdom. And that's what we're talking about now. When he said in Deuteronomy 32, 29, in Deuteronomy 32, 29, he said, oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. You know, speaking about life, James calls life, he says it's like a vapor. James 4.14, James 4.14 says, whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little while, little time, and then vanisheth away. You know, sometimes, not this morning, but sometimes we wake up and went to sleep and everything is clear. We wake up and we're socked in with fog. Can't see anything outside. It's all, it's a fog. And we think, oh, this is permanent. This is going to be here forever. No, sun comes up. Before you know it, it's gone. Planes are taken off from San Diego airport again. A fog is a picture of our lives. It's a picture of our lives. It looks like it's going to, going to always be here and then it's gone. It vanishes. But man thinks because he's alive, all's going well. He doesn't need God. But man needs God because life comes from God. As a matter of fact, it's like a loan from God. Because as it says in Genesis 2-7, Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. It's kind of interesting, you know, Job, when he was speaking about that, says, your spirit is in my nostrils, he said. <laughs> and that's why Job actually said in Job 33-4, Job 33-4, the Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. You know, Job looked at his life, and he said, it was a grant. He said in Job 10.12, Job 10.12, thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation hath preserved my spirit. So man, like the Egyptians in verse 18, needs not to hide 
his need for God because his life comes from God. Now, another common lie, lie number two, is where people say, alluded to already, I don't need God because I'm a great provider. I'm a great provider. I got a job and, and, and I provide for everything I need. I don't need God. People think that because they can make money and because they can provide for themselves and their family, they don't need God. They're a provider. But the ability to provide, God says, the ability to provide in Deuteronomy 8.18, Deuteronomy 8.18, he says, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear to thy fathers. In, in other words, God knew Israel was going to get wealthy. He knew that. And they were going to be tempted to sit back and say, well, congratulations to me, you know, because for all the wealth that I've gotten, look at it, look at it all. You know, that spirit of look at it all, that was the Haman spirit. That was the Haman spirit in the book of Esther, where it says in Esther 5, 9 through 11, then went Haman forth that day joyful with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gates, that he stood not up nor moved for him, he was full of indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman refrained himself, and when he came home, he sent and called his friends and Zeresh his wife, and Haman told them of the glory of his riches and the multitude of his children and the things wherein the king had promoted him. See, Haman was really upset when Mordecai refused to bow to Haman, and so what did he do? He goes home, he gathers his friends, he gets his wife together, and he tells them of the glory of his riches. It was actually very similar to what Ahasuerus, the king of Ahasuerus did when he made a big party to show off his riches as well. And another time, God told Israel that you don't know that what you have I gave you. In Hosea 2.8, Hosea 2.8, for she did not know, Israel did not know, that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold. That's why being thankful is called giving thanks. Giving thanks, because it's, it's like, don't hold it, don't withhold it, give it up, give it up. It really kind of puts an emphasis on our decision. You're gonna give it or not? And it, it has to come from our hearts, thanksgiving, and it gives a free will gift to God. So man, like the Egyptians in verse 18, needs to stop hiding his need for God, because everything he has, including his strength to gain, it comes from God. Now, lie number three. People believe the lie that, well, I don't need God because I'm smart. They say, I'm smart, you know, don't you know? I'm smarter than the average bear. I don't need God. And I know how to get out of trouble. When trouble comes, I know how to get out of trouble. And the idea is that they can see life clearly, and they can see, well, you know, others get into trouble, but and they don't get out, but not me. I find a way out. And the Lord Jesus said about deception in John 8, 12, John 8, 12, he said, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life, John 8, 12. In other words, any person who is not following the Lord Jesus is actually walking in darkness, and he doesn't have the real light of life, what's called the light of life, the light of life. That's what he called it, the light of life. What is that, light of life? The light of life refers to light and wisdom that comes for a particular challenge in life, 
I mean, we come to a place where we say, I don't know what to do now. And then the Lord shows us what to do. That's called the light of life. That's the light that comes to us in the circumstances of life. I mean, have you ever come, like I have, to a place where someone said something nasty against the Lord, and you don't know what to say, and you don't want to say something you're going to regret, or you want to help that person, you know what to say, and then all of a sudden, you know just what to say? Why? Because he gave the light of life in that particular situation. So when the Lord Jesus says, I am the light of the world, he didn't say, I am a light of the world. He said, I am the light of the world, which means he's the only light of the world, just as he said that he's the only truth. When he said in John 14, 6, he said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only one truth. Now, so man, like the Egyptians in verse 18, he needs to, he needs to not hide his need for God because he's self-deceived and he's in darkness. He needs God for light. Now, the fourth lie is that as people causes them to say, they don't need God because, I don't need God because I have self-control. Okay, that's not me, but anyway, some people say that. I have self-control. I don't fly off the handle. I hold my tongue. Even when someone really gets under my skin, I know how to control my feelings, so I don't need God. The people who need God are those who are out of control. That's not me, so I don't need God, see? But the Bible says in Romans 7.14, Romans 7.14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law, it's good. So then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Man is so much in darkness that he has these things that are called secret faults. I mean, even from self, secret faults. He doesn't even know that he's sinning when he's sinning. And, and so David says in, in Psalm 19.12, Psalm 19.12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Problem is, is that our hearts, they trick us. They lie to us. Our hearts lie to us. And that puts us in a state of what the Bible calls being desperately wicked. Not just wicked, but desperately wicked in Jeremiah 17.9. Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins and even give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So man like the Egyptians in verse 18. He needs to stop hiding his need for God because he doesn't have self-control over his thoughts and his actions and his words. Okay, the fifth lie. How many times have we heard a person say, I don't need God because I'm a good person. I'm <laughs> a good person. And then you say, really? You're the first one. All right. So, but the Bible says clearly about that in Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It says all of sin. That leaves room for no person to be a good person. It says all of sin. Now what does it really mean when it says all of sin? It means that all are helpless, all are guilty because they've sinned. And then when it goes on to say they've come short of the glory of God, that means they fall short of ever being able to see the glory of God. 
Because, because they've sinned, they won't come to the glory of God. They'll be short. They won't see the glory of God because they've sinned. When Solomon dedicated the temple, for in Israel was all there, and it was a great day on that day, and in 1 Kings 8, 46, 1 Kings 8, 46, he said, if they, speaking of Israel, sin against thee, and then he stopped and he said, there's no man that sinneth not. See, he says that, there's no man that sinneth not, because the purpose of the temple that he was dedicating was to offer sacrifices for sin. And so he says, there's no man that hasn't sinned. As a matter of fact, we're given a scene in Psalm 14.2, Psalm 14.2, where it's talking about God looking down from heaven just to see, looking out to see, is it possible someone hasn't sinned? So he says in Psalm 14.2, Psalm 14.2, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And his conclusion is, they are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good no, not one. So he wanted to find one good person, and so uh, under, so he looks down from heaven. He wanted to find a person who understood, and who was seeking God. He came up empty-handed, zero, couldn't find one, and that's why it says in Isaiah fifty-three six. Isaiah fifty-three six. It says about us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. What iniquity? The iniquity of going astray. The iniquity of turning to our own way. The iniquity of saying to God, no, not your way, my way. And the Lord wanted to find a good person. He couldn't, and that's why Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.20, Ecclesiastes 7.20, there's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. So it's a common self-deception when a person says he's a good person, doesn't need God. But man, like the Egyptians, in verse 18, needs to, to not hide his need for God because he's not a good person. He's not a good person. Okay, now, many people today think that they've lived a clean life. They've lived a clean life. They feel that, look, I haven't cheated anyone. I haven't been guilty of any sexual sins. I haven't told any lies. So they conclude, I'm, I'm clean. I don't need God. People need God, but they're dirty. I'm not me. I'm, not, I'm clean. But when the Bible says that all have sinned, that means that all have become filthy from sin, filthy from sin. And the deception is that people think that, well, because I haven't done any acts of sin, then I'm clean on the inside. Now, some of us have actually done the acts, but anyways, that's not the case because the Lord said, the Lord Jesus made it clear that it's the thoughts of sin that make a person dirty because the thoughts come out of the heart. And he said in Matthew 15, 19, Matthew 15, 19, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, or lies, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Out of the heart, evil thoughts. Evil thoughts defile a man. The heart is the place of thoughts. That's what it says in Proverbs 23, 7. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. 
Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Experience a short-term missions trip to Israel, the land and people to whom the Lord Jesus Christ will return. Not only walk where the Lord Jesus walked, but reach who He reached, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Be a part of the encouraging Jewish friends to receive the Lord Jesus. Israel Alive is all about making friendships with lost Israelis that will hopefully be eternal. We hope you'll join us in reaching the nation of Israel one friendship at a time. For more information, visit us at israelalive.org. That's israelalive.org. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 